From the Hype HQ studio in Chicago, Illinois, it's Startup Hype Man, the podcast. Hello, everyone. My name is Raj Nation, and I am the founder of Startup Hype Man. Fast-growing startups work with me because they want to become better storytellers. Whether that's for customers, investors, or a packed audience, they know that story is their ticket to stand out, stand apart, and change the game. And this podcast here is where I talk with entrepreneurs and leaders in the startup ecosystem, ranging from scale stage to early stage, as they share specific strategies that they have executed to stand out across three specific areas, sales, marketing, and people. Before we begin today's episode, remember you can head to StartupHypeMan.com and subscribe to the newsletter that doesn't suck. You'll get new podcast episodes and timely reads written by me, but also helpful articles from around the web and a notice of upcoming pitch competitions. All right, let's dive in and hear how today's guest is changing the game. Ladies and gentlemen, making her way to the microphone from the Kodiak Islands of Alaska and currently residing in Indianapolis, Indiana. She is the founder and CEO of Bilingual Bridges. Please welcome Kelly Minks. <laughs> Thank you for having me. Appreciate it. Thank you, Kelly, for joining us today. She is Kelly Minks, as I mentioned, the founder and CEO of Bilingual Bridges. What is Bilingual Bridges? Well, they offer an intuitive, affordable, and easy to implement online education solution. They are a personalized online learning solution accelerating student success used by students, teachers, and schools. They've been around since 2017 and have taught over 20, or have had over 2,500 classes taught on their platform in that time with customers and users across the, across the United States, Europe, Asia, as well as Central America. Now, today on the podcast, we're talking with Kelly on a topic specifically of leveraging your network to build awareness. So Kelly, welcome to the show. And my first question right off the bat is leveraging your network to build awareness. Why is that on your mind? Why is it important to you? Yeah, sure. Um, so the importance of leveraging your network, especially as a business owner, um, has been on my mind quite a bit lately because my team and I just launched a new program called Cloud Learning um, that we developed in response to the COVID-19 pandemic. And we've had to figure out how to market it as the U.S. is now experiencing an economic downturn. Um, so it's made me pause and reflect on how exactly we've built awareness around our brand over the last almost three years. And I've realized that it's been by leveraging my personal and professional networks. Awesome. We're going to dive a whole lot more into that as this conversation unfolds. But before we do, let's learn a little bit more about you and your background, Kelly. Now, I mentioned to you right before we started recording that you are actually the second, believe it or not, uh, Alaskan <laughs> native to join this podcast, which would make you overall the third Alaskan in my life who I know. Uh, I feel like I somehow have managed to accrue a more Alaska experience than the average contiguous United States individual might, especially yes. Midwest, not even like Northwest. Absolutely. Uh, so growing up in the Kodiak Islands, uh, I'm curious, how do you feel that, you know, and I grew up in the suburbs of Chicago. Um, how do you feel that the type of environment you grew up in, which I know just generally speaking is just the population is just way smaller. Mm -hmm. um, do you feel like you had a sense of community from the very start or is that something you learned later on? 
Yeah, absolutely. So, um, you know, on Kodiak Island, when I was a kid, I think there were about six, 7,000 people on the entire island. That includes the, well, that would be the city of Kodiak. Um, there are seven villages, I believe. Some of them, by the time I was in fifth, sixth grade, didn't, still didn't have, um, you know, stable electricity and running water, which is amazing because, you know, it's, it is part of the states. Um, but with that, the sense of community because of the native Alaskan communities is so strong. You can imagine, especially within those villages, some of the villages might have, you know, 200 people in them. Um, but then in the, the town as well, um, you, most families are fishing families. My dad is a commercial fisherman, kind of like what you see in the deadliest catch. And then my mom was a public health nurse. And so um, everybody's connected to, to the fishing community somehow. And in terms of the healthcare system, um, the doctors and nurses are traveling through every month throughout all the other communities. And as a little kid, I believe the story is when I was starting when I was six weeks old, we get packed along with them. And so we grow up with wet nurses and we are part of these communities, even though, you know, like, uh, I guess, you know, ethnically, I'm not native Alaskan. Um, I was, I was raised as though I was. Very cool. So how did your family end up there? Was it through the fishing industry? Um, yes. So my dad was originally from Washington. And there's a really strong connection there between Washington and Alaska, Oregon and Alaska with the fishing industries. Um, so that's what took him up there. My mom was a Peace Corps nurse right after college. She came home to Denver from Columbia, from the Amazon, which in the 70s was not developed at all and was struck with culture, reverse culture shock and told her parents she was moving to Canada. She was gonna go to the Northwest Territories and she was, you know, 26 years old and they were like, okay, cool it. Maybe you could try to stay in the States. And she said, fine, I'm going to Alaska. And somehow got in touch with the one hospital on the island that was run by the nuns. And they agreed that if she could get herself there, they would um, pay for her room and board and give her a small salary, so she went. It's a really interesting backstory. <laughs> um, okay, so continuing on this theme, um, and and growing up in sort of like a you know everyone is there for everyone sort of scenario, mm-hmm. um, did you find was it was it to the extent that it was like anyone who you interacted with like you automatically knew their family, mm-hmm. and and did that I guess. How do, how do you think that impacted or um, shaped um, how you trust people? Um, I think it's a matter of you realize how, that you have these really deep connections uh, without really even trying. They're just built into the community. And because you're a part of it, it's just available to you. Um, I think it taught me the importance of you know, and the ease by which you can leverage your networks, personal, professional, social networks, um, because just as interested as you are in, in those people, they're also interested in you. And so 
it gives you the sense of um, confidence to share what you're what you're involved in, what you're creating, and what you believe in, and thinking, you know, sure, they might they might judge you and say, ah. Eh, cool, you know, it's Christmas dinner and I don't want to hear about it. Or they might say, it's Christmas dinner, everybody quiet down, listen to this cool thing that, you know, Kelly's doing or whoever it is, right? Sure. Um, so, yeah, gives you, gives you a sense of being able to take those steps out there to, to take risks and you're not going to completely fall because there's, there's people there. Well, speaking of taking steps and taking risks, I feel mm -hmm. like your professional history has been an exercise in that. Mm -hmm. um, you have an education background and you have taught on uh, three different continents yourself. You've taught uh, specifically in Argentina, in Korea, in Vietnam, as well as obviously the US. Um, what made you say, uh, I wanna take on that kind of challenge or that kind of risk and I'm gonna you know, travel the globe and, and, and perform my profession? Well, as an undergrad, I actually didn't study education, which you won't find anything about that on me, uh, about me on my, my website or anything like that. Um, I was studied social work and international relations. And so initially, my first, I guess, year and a half out of undergrad, I was a bilingual social worker for child welfare in Portland, Oregon. And then the recession hit. And I'm seeing all my friends in finance and accounting and these big, well, you know, high paying jobs, much better than social workers get laid off and they didn't have backups. They were just laid off. And I had been pushed in starting in high school to travel, to work hard, to volunteer, to study and just go, go, go. And so the idea of sitting around and collecting a paycheck was horrifying to me. Mm. And so I started, um, I had just come back from volunteering in Peru, and I was like, well, maybe I could just move back to South America. And I studied abroad there in college, and I'll just go work there. So if I get laid off like everyone else, I'm just going back there. Because the recession hasn't hit them yet. Well, I was, I was 23. <laughs> and my family said, well, what are you going to do? And I said, well, I'm going to be a social worker, of course. That's what I am. And he said, well, do you know how much um, your friends there make? Do you know how often you'll be able to come back to the States to visit? And I was like, I don't care. I don't care about money. Well, and then I talked Classic to them. 23-year-old mindset. <laughs> right. And I'm realizing maybe $800 a month, even though it's not in dollars, isn't, isn't enough. And a friend of mine who I'd met uh, just previously in Peru, he had taken a course through the University of Cambridge um, as a teaching course and ended up teaching abroad for five years. And he was like, hey, why don't you become a teacher? And I said, because I don't have the patience for that. He said, no, go take a course through Cambridge. They have them in Argentina. They have them in Chile. You can go wherever. And it's two months crash course, eight hours a day. Um, and then you get your, your teaching certificate and then you go. If you hate it, you hate it, but you get your shoe, you know, your foot in the door. And that was my plan. Okay. This will give me some sort of income. If I don't like it, I don't like it, but at least I'll, I'll have a starting place. So I applied to the International House in Buenos Aires. And it was, I, I studied for my CELTA, which is uh, the um, 
what does it stand for? Certificate of English Language Teaching to Adults and Teenagers. Mm. There was a ton of work. I started teaching, I think, the day after I, I graduated, and I loved it. I just loved it. And then, you know, the economy in Argentina two years later started taking a downturn because it's always up and down. So I went to Asia because that's the safe place for teachers to be. <laughs> okay. So, um, you know, your company name is Bilingual Bridges. I feel mm-hmm. like really that's just like the name of like your resume. Is <laughs> like, like, your, your life has been Bilingual Bridges. Um, what, when did that transition happen from I am teaching these things to, hey, I'm going to start a company around this. And by the way, I actually don't have a background in tech really. So take us through that, that transition and that next risk. Yeah, sure. So, um, bilingual bridges was actually an idea that came from a project in one of my last classes in grad school. And it was designed as a brick and mortar program after school program. And it was going to be in Logan square. And I decided, you know, I had every little detail planned out, even though I'd never seen myself as being a business owner of any sort. It just kind of was something that came together. And I thought, okay, in 10 years, I'm going to do this. And I had started teaching online, I think in 2011 or 2012, maybe, um, because it was, it was the perfect side job to have in grad school, you know, between all the paper writing and reading books. Um, and I continued to do that throughout, um, my first few years out of grad school. And then I decided in 2017, there need to be more online resources for language learners. I taught in Chicago public schools and then Indianapolis public schools and realizing that there just isn't enough out there. And the biggest uh, lack of resources comes from the the scarcity of of qualified teachers. There aren't even, in in Indiana alone, there aren't even 200 licensed ESL teachers. And ESL comes second to bilingual education when you think of, you know, language learning models. Sure. Chicago's a different story, you know, Illinois in general. Um, but there's not enough. And so kids are going without. Kids might see an ESL teacher once a week for a half hour. And we get to check the box and say we're meeting the, the standards. Um, it's not enough. In Chicago, we had a lot more resources, but we had the teachers, but we, we didn't have all of the materials that we needed because they weren't being produced. Um, And so realizing, okay, I know how to teach online. I know how to develop curriculum. I know how to build teams of teachers and of people. So I can't handle what I'm seeing anymore in the classroom. I'm taking a break. And I'm going to figure out how to take the Bilingual Bridges business plan that I developed and turn it into an online company. Mm. Okay. So it it just kind of seemed like, the logical next step. Yeah. All right. So let's talk about how this company has been built then. So our primary topic today is leveraging your network to build awareness. Um, Most people think of building and growing awareness Mm -hmm. and they will immediately think of something like 
running Facebook ads or running advertisements in general, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you have had a different approach, which has been around networking. So can you, and the interesting thing is when we learned a little bit about your backstory, I feel like networking was just what you grew up with to begin with when you had mm-hmm. this whole like community sense. So uh, can you talk us through how maybe initially you got your own network involved in bilingual bridges? Mm-hmm. Um. Well, coming from the school and, you know, I, I had my networks at the schools that I'd worked at, you know, I had transitioned from one to the next on good terms. And so continuing to be in touch with administration and with teachers um, and then realizing that I could bounce all of my ideas and questions off of them and trying to navigate like the red tape to get school contracts and things like that. I had people to, to help to teach me, you know, um, and to help get, help me get my foot in the door. Um, and so again, that was just kind of the logical next step. And then thinking about, okay, we're focusing on online language learning. Do we need to just focus on the States? Because when you think about running Facebook ads, it's really hard to be effective if you say worldwide. Or we are targeting these five countries. So coming from, you know, a non-business background, that was something that my team and I had to learn pretty early on. And then it was like, well, how else can we connect with people in other countries that we personally know? So Mm. I leveraged my network by just talking to the families I used to work with, the students, with the schools, with my colleagues. Um, and as, and, and my, my team did the same thing. And because I think we're so passionate about what we do, just talking about it isn't really an ask. It doesn't feel like an ask that we're, we're making. Um, we're just talking about what we do and saying, you know, is this something in your city that you think there's a need for? Is this something in your school? What do you think? What do you think about our pitch deck? Do you hate it? Do you like it? Tear it apart and tell us what what you want to see. Um, and so I think being transparent that way, and again, trusting that they're interested, just like you're interested in them. And that's that's how it that's how it started. That's how we well, learned how to leverage our network. You know, I think I think having this almost like insider access and insight is so invaluable and i know uh i can tell you from experience some of the early stage companies that i have worked with um sometimes they don't know uh, like whatever market they're going into they don't know a whole lot about that market Mm -hmm. and you know we work on like hey what does the pitch need to be for this market and i have to be honest with them i'm like look like without without so much knowledge off the bat, it's going to be like conjecture for now. And mm-hmm. it's, it, we're going to, it's going to follow a formula that's designed to work, but I don't know if it's going to be the right message because we don't know enough about this market yet. So you have to know that right. we're creating like a hypothesis right now that you can, you're going to have to tweak over time. And I think mm-hmm. having this built in network as you have, it kind of gives you a head start in that respect. And I do think there are, there are a good number of companies who think, Oh, they just, they built the technology. And mm-hmm. it's just as simple as just finding, you know, that target market and putting it in front of them and then they'll buy, mm-hmm. but rarely is that the case, if ever. Mm-hmm. And especially in education, which is so bureaucratic and 
Mm-hmm. I mean, sales cycles can take like a year, <laughs> you know, with, yes. with the teacher, the school administrator, the district office getting involved, right? There's so many layers here. And it sounds like you've been able to, not only because you worked in this field for a few years yourself, but now also you have people on the inside that are able to say, um, hey, here's like the chain of command you'd want to go to for this. Here's the best approach, I think, to getting in with them, that kind of stuff, right? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And I think also something that we've learned um, just this year was, wait a second, looking back and, look, and considering how much time and effort we put into connecting with school districts, individual schools, you know, around Indiana alone. And the public schools are so hard to break into if you don't have a direct connection. But charter schools and private schools are a lot easier. And I started teaching at a charter school um, in January. Missed the classroom a little too much. So I'm back for a bit. Um, And realizing there is so much flexibility. We can bring in things whenever we want to bring in things. And sure, there's there's a budget that needs to be followed. But there are a lot more opportunities. Yeah, they and just so, run on their own. Like, <laughs> yeah, and so that's been another learning experience. You know, these past six months is just like we need to be focusing a little bit more on these other two types of schools and homeschools as well. You know, I think they get the homeschool families get neglected to a certain extent because we're all focused on the big districts. Yeah, and and I think you're going to see a lot more homeschooling now over the next year because of the pandemic. Um, one thing, you know, I, I probably should ask this a, a little bit earlier, but I gave just a super high level of what the software is at the very beginning of this conversation, mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. just to set the right context and everything. Can you just talk us through like the quick rundown of what the software actually does uh, for your customers? Yeah. So it's not technically software. Um, and that is what surprises people, I think, because we're all used to seeing Babel and Duolingo and all of this, you know, and we look at, for us, we said from the beginning, we're teachers and we want to be in front of our students. We want them to see an actual teacher and not just a Bitmoji or something like that, right? And um, so up until these last two months since we, we launched Cloud Learning, Um, Bilingual Bridges has been focused on -on one-on-one and small group live online classes. So we match our teachers, um, well, I should say we match our students with the teachers based on their availability, you know, learning preferences, all of these different things. We know our teachers really well. Um, My cooperating teacher from student teaching had worked with us when we first opened until she got too busy and, you know, that happens. And some of my coworkers in the past have come in. Some of my, um, you know, classmates from DePaul have come in, and then they've brought in different teachers with them. So we we really work together to make those matches spot on. And then, um, you know, they schedule their classes. They they create the curriculum individually with the with the students. If it's a course where we have a group. Um, of students, then we're, we're creating the course curriculum and, and that's all set out. But we also work really closely to, ch- to share resources, create resources together. We have meetings where 
some teachers in Spain have never met some of our teachers in Texas, but they're lesson planning on Zoom. Hmm. And so this it really is, sounds like what you're providing is almost like the portal for the connection exactly. to happen, right? Exactly. So we're we're providing that portal. Um, and then what's what's different with cloud learning is we've just we've realized okay, there also needs to be an aspect of self-paced learning. But how can we do that without it being like this gamified computer software? So we decided we're going to take the approach that Udemy or Coursera take. But instead of putting people who are just really good at speaking French, don't have any qualifications, or really good at teaching math, but don't have any qualifications, we took our teachers, who they're all certified anyway, and figured out, okay, sure, you might be certified K through eight, but what are you really good at teaching? Oh, language arts. Okay. So we picked out, there's about half of our team that, have, um, that are participating, and we've created courses. And it's in the same, um, same format as some of those other sites like Udemy or Coursera, but the topics of the courses are really high interest, similar to like OutSchool. Um, and so what students are able to do is log in, they see their course library, everything's in English and Spanish. Everything is, is um, categorized by um, proficiency level, beginner, intermediate, advanced, and then by grade level. So I can have a third grader and who needs to, is maybe just starting to work on area and perimeter in math class, isn't getting it, doesn't, does, I, don't, I don't know, and maybe I'm not a teacher, and I don't know how to teach this without getting frustrated, right? Because oftentimes our parents, when we go to our parents to get homework help, we all fight. You know, <laughs> so then they get onto the cloud learning site and they can go find the perimeter and area course that Harry Potter is, is putting on. And so we have like, um, uh, that course is available in English and then it's been recreated into Spanish. And so throughout this hour of lessons or all mini lessons, they end up designing their own Hogwarts dorm. So you can have a native Spanish very cool. speaker. So it's, very, it's very much like relevant and exactly as an application of instead of just to learn this, but don't realize what it could be used for. Exactly. And so, for example, like a native Spanish speaker who's in third grade and maybe is a very beginner in English, but needs to master this content can go on, participate in this course. You've got all the quizzes incorporated and then they have um, live online classes that are also included in their subscriptions. And so as soon as they get to a section, they're like, God, I keep failing this, this, this quiz. Well, I'm going to go schedule one of those classes so I can ask my teacher questions. Hmm. Do I have to follow a specific schedule and see that teacher every Monday night at 7 o'clock? No, I'm going to schedule it when I need. Hmm. And then once that student gets through that course, well, then he can go over and take the course in English. And that academic vocabulary transfers across, and then that student who – maybe going most likely is going to an all English school can go back into class and be like, all right, I get what they're talking about with perimeter and area. Next thing. Right. So that's the whole focus of cloud learning. So now we have synchronous and asynchronous learning that is available. Let's come back to um, where we were at in our main topic. Thank you for giving that backdrop. And I think that really helps inform the conversation uh, for all the listeners now. Um, what, you know, you talked about your existing network of teachers, of uh, 
really not just teachers, but other people who are involved in schools and administrations and things like that. Um, I'm going to guess the answer is no, based on your history, but did you have any fear or insecurity around going to people you already know in a different context where you're just like, it's a fellow teach, it's like a colleague kind of relationship. And now asking something of them where in a way the relationship dynamic has now changed because of that. It's hard. It's hard. Um, I would imagine that for everybody, no, no matter how confident you feel and how solid a relationship may be, there's going to be a little piece of, oh, this is going to be weird, <laughs> at least in the beginning. Um, yeah, yeah, no, it's hard. It gets easier as you go. Um, I think just trying to, to focus on like not being salesy because you know, we have a product that we believe in and that educators all over believe in. Like we, we understand the importance of learning languages of how, you know, bilingual education is being, we can't just drop kids into sink or swim situations, you know, that we need to be giving them the support in their native language too. Um, that's something that we, we can find common ground on. And so it makes it a little easier rather than going in and saying, hey, we want to bring our program into your school. It's like I can talk about something new that we're doing with it. And they are thinking of, oh, wait, you know, I think that that might work over here. Or even if there's not an idea at the moment, that's in their heads. And they'll tell us, let me keep that in mind. Yeah, yeah. I want to ask you a little bit more about that, but before I do, I just want to let our listeners know about a new partner of the show in Sales Hacker. If you've been a longtime listener of this podcast, then you know, generally speaking, I talk with uh, leaders at B2B startups or marketplace startups such as uh, Kelly and Bilingual Bridges. And if you were not already aware, Sales Hacker is this world's smartest community for forward-thinking B2B professionals. It's 135,000 members strong. So whether you're a CEO like Kelly, whether you're the head of sales or a sales rep, Sales Hacker helps you get better at your job, plain and simple, with podcasts, articles, webinars, and research from actual experts and practitioners, including yours truly. Sometimes I'm, I'm a contributor to the site. And I'm a huge fan of what they're doing. They've actually just created a whole new community aspect to their website. So now instead of passive content absorption, you can actually get involved through discussion boards on the site. They're doing weekly Ask Me Anythings with different sales leaders. It's really cool. So get on board if you're not on board with it already. To do that, all you have to do is go to www.saleshacker.com and you can join for free. Again, it's saleshacker.com. And simply by entering your email address there, you'll get access to all the articles, the podcasts, the webinars, the research, the Ask Me Anythings and more. One more time, that's saleshacker.com. I also want to give, out, give a shout out to my friend Jason Bay, who was our season premiere guest uh, this season of the podcast, and his Think Outside the Script summer virtual tour. Jason, as you may remember from that episode, is the founder or co-founder of Blissful Prospecting, and all summer long, they've been hosting this Think Outside the Script summer virtual tour. It's over 40 different sales leaders over the course of about 105 days talking to you, directly to you, about different 
activities, different uh, strategies and formulas around cold emailing, cold calling, mindset, research, productivity, all the things that you would want to know for how to be better at your own outreach and how to be better at your own prospecting and sales. I just had my session in the tour about a week ago. It went awesome. Uh, and there's a whole lot more to go. I've been signing up for a lot of these myself. And every week you get two to three live interactive sessions around lunchtime, central time. And you get to, you get to talk with the people who are on screen. You get to get direct information and direct insight that you can literally apply like the second the live webinar ends. So if you haven't jumped on board with it, I highly recommend you do. You've got another couple months here before the tour ends and you can sign up for as many talks as you want. And the best part, it's all free. So all you have to do is go to tour.blissfulprospecting.com. Again, tour.blissfulprospecting.com. Today on Startup Hype Man, the podcast, we are here with Kelly Minks, founder and CEO of Bilingual Bridges, talking leveraging your network to build awareness. So Kelly, before the break there, I had asked you about, you know, like the awkwardness and you, you had talked about the awkwardness initially of going to your existing network with an ask of some kind. So now I want to ask you, no pun intended, now I want to ask you, uh, what does your ask look like? And perhaps the best way to answer that would be, a specific situation that comes to mind or a specific scenario where you needed to maybe get into a school or learn how soft, how your software could be implemented. Um, what, what does the ask look like? Okay. Um, yeah. As you mentioned specifically schools, I was just kind of thinking as you were talking, uh, depends on who we're talking to, right? Is it family, schools, investors, uh, the investor talks have been happening these last couple of months. And so that's been a completely new experience sure. too. Um, but when it comes to schools, our ask is first, we have, we research those schools. We research what their needs are, what they're good at, what we recognize as being gaps. Um, and each school is different, right? The demographics of one school aren't the same as the next and the administration and their priorities aren't the same school to school. So first we have to do our research and then being able to, try to get a warm introduction. Um, and if we're unable to do that, you know, we start, we'll connect with them on LinkedIn. Um, we might connect with them on an individual email. Email where I'll, I'll write them personally, um, not just through MailChimp or something. Yeah. Well, let's um, take the warm yeah. introduction, if you don't mind. Let's take the warm introduction sure. um, play. I know a lot of people, so there's a, a lot of people have, feel awkward asking someone they know for an introduction. Those who don't feel awkward about it, typically, at least in my experience, it's something that's like, hey, do you know so-and-so? Can you make an introduction? And it kind of just like ends there. How have you been doing, asking for the warm introduction? Um, well, I haven't felt like it's actually too awkward to ask for the warm introduction. It's a matter of identifying the people we want to talk to and then figuring out, wait, do we, do we know somebody that knows them? Mm -hmm. um, but actually asking for that warm introduction, it doesn't, it doesn't feel awkward because most likely the person that we're asking from, they already know what we're doing. Um, you know, they, so it's, it's not like we're coming in and having to, or I'm having to come in and like pitch bilingual bridges to them. They already know sure. what we're doing. Um, and I will just, 
usually say, you know, if it's, um, say it's a, it's a teacher at a school, um, that I think that that school would be a really good, um, partner for us. I'll ask, what is this sort of programming like? What are you doing for your English learners? What are you doing for your Spanish learners as Spanish as a second language? And what about your bilingual students? Well, if it's across the Midwest, other than like Ohio, those bilingual students are probably not getting a bilingual education. For some reason, Ohio does a really good job with providing it. But um, yeah, I don't know why. But and so does Illinois. Um, but we can, I can, I can usually assume they're getting ESL services, the degree of those, who knows? Um, and so I can ask and then say, you know, do you think that this might be something that they're interested in? Do you think that this might fit into the curriculum? Is there going to be time? And just kind of brainstorm and then be able to say, could you put me into touch with your principal? Could you send this flyer over to your, your you know, program coordinator? And then it's like, oh, yeah, it makes sense. Because now, as, as the teacher that you're, you know, that, that I'm talking to is, is seeing the connection, well, it just makes sense to me, so why wouldn't I just pass this along? Or why wouldn't I send this message to connect them? Now, in that scenario, are you also providing them with either the collateral to send or like the blurb to forward on? Yep. Okay, so a couple of things I wanna point out from what you just said, which I think are really important to this process, is that you're leveraging your network to get the in here and it's, it's working successfully largely because you're making the lift on, you're, you're doing a lot of the lift for them. Mm-hmm. You're not putting them out to have to do this favor or whatever you want to call it for you, which is where I have seen a lot of people do this the wrong way in the past. And I have been like the recipient of like the bad way of doing this where they're like, Hey, can you introduce me to so-and-so? And then if I know the person, I'm like, yeah, what do you want me to say? And they'll be like, oh, you know, you can just tell them blah, 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 which still makes me have to figure out what do I need to send to them. And the times when it works the best is literally when they're like, here, copy, paste this and send it to them. Mm-hmm. And, they're like, and they'll be like, you, know, you can tweak it to however your language is or however you feel like you write words instead. But, and that's, you know, I'll do that. But if I have that script essentially where the amount of like emotional labor and emotional effort I have to put into it is minimal, yep. then I will do that task on their behalf. But where I see a lot of people get this wrong is they think that they're not, it's not malicious intent. They just don't realize that there's more to asking for that introduction or that referral than just saying, hey, can you introduce me? Because in my case, if I'm the one making the connection, I don't automatically know how to best represent that person or necessarily what they're looking for mm-hmm. beyond the introduction. Like, what's the reason for the introduction? And mm-hmm. what you're telling me is that to make this successful, you've got to handle that heavy lifting on behalf of the person who you're asking for that connection or that favor from. Yep. And I think the quickest way that these conversations have happened recently is to say, Hey, do you guys have anything for bilingual education? What are you doing for your online programming right now? Because we're all having to look for something. Um, And they say, I don't know, or we just got this program and it's, it's not going to work. And I say, hey, can you, I'm going to send you this flyer if you think that, you know, this can be helpful. Go ahead and pass it along. And they say, oh yeah, 
sending it to my assistant principal right now. Perfect. And it's a flyer. It's visual. It's, and then there's website on there. Yeah. Yeah. And even that is just, it's literally, they can just forward what exactly what you sent them, which makes it even easier. Yep. Um, let me ask you one final question here before we hit our wrap up. And that is, um, let's say in cases where you're not using a flyer, uh, and maybe mm -hmm. it is the, the copy paste description that you're able to use, but generally speaking, um, I, I guess beyond just that direct connection, but knowing that you've been able to do something where other people are just generally also able to talk about bilingual bridges or without you having to actively make it because they're in your network, they're like, oh, you need to talk to Kelly because of so-and-so. Mm -hmm. um, how do you ensure that these people in your network are being the right like brand ambassadors or like stewards of the bilingual bridges brand and, and representing you out in the field in the right way? Hmm. Good question. Well, we don't train them all. Um, <laughs> I think, I think it's just a matter of they got on the website see the homepage. It starts to click. Um, I think, and that's usually one thing. Hey, can you send me the website? Let me, let me take a look. Hmm. So that's one piece. I think the other is really to make sure that you have their buy-in and it's not like, Hey, you know, this girl Kelly over here has this company. Like, I don't know, maybe it's something that you're interested in. Well, that makes bilingual bridges look horrible all of a sudden, right? Right off the bat. But, but giving them a reason to want to talk and giving them a reason to be, I don't know if like proud would be the right word, but excited about what we're doing because it's, it's more than just a company or just programs, you know, like this, it's a cause. Bilingual education is something that is, is advocacy it's it's in need of advocacy um you know and that was like in my graduate school program that was a big part we we had to learn how to advocate for it for it and so i think being able to have those conversations where the person gets it i don't really have to worry about how it's presented to others hmm. interesting so yeah it it actually happens more kind of on the more organically, I would say. Sure. Yeah, yeah. That, that was the word I was looking for is organically. Okay. Mm -hmm. Let's um, let's begin our wrap up. Where can our listeners uh, learn more about Bilingual Bridges uh, and find you online and find the company online? Sure. So our website is www.bilingualbridges.com. We are on Facebook. Um, we're on Twitter. We're on Instagram and LinkedIn, all under Bilingual Bridges. Um, actually, Facebook is Bilingual Bridges Home. But we're really active on social media. We have a YouTube channel as well. Just Google Bilingual Bridges YouTube. Um, we have a lot of course videos on there. We have testimonial videos. Um, some new hybrid videos that are really cool that our marketing teams put together that are on there. Um, yeah. So that's where, where you can find us. To wrap up then, uh, we will each give our top one or two lessons or takeaways for the audience based on the discussion today. I'll go first and I'll kick it to you. Um, to me, a lot of this conversation, um, I think what's embedded in it, we may not have necessarily discussed it, but what it made me think of is um, if you're going to leverage your network to grow awareness or leverage your network and, and have an ask of someone else, 
I do think what's also embedded into this is you cannot, your relationship cannot become one where you are only reaching out to that people or that, that person or that group of people when you need something. <laughs> there has to be a give and take here. And, you know, Adam Grant has a whole book called Give and Take, but um, you have to be able to also contribute to that relationship, not just the only time you reach out to them is when you need something. I think we've all had a friend like that at one point or other in our life. And those are the friends that annoy us. So don't be the annoying friend. Mm-hmm. Um, Callie, leveraging your network to build awareness, uh, top one or two lessons or takeaways for the listeners. You have to just go for it. You have to be brave. You have to be confident and you have to be prepared to be told no because people will tell you no. You have to be prepared for people to, um, I know this is more than one or two. You have to be prepared for people also to just not do anything with the ask. But you have to be confident and kind of have faith in the fact that you're in their mind now. And that there's still in the future the possibility that something might come around. And like you said, you need to not be that annoying friend that just comes around when they need something. You have to be, um, you know, nurturing your leads, but also in the same way, your team members and your clients, you have to stop and separate the business from the personal and ask how they are and ask, you know, what they did over the weekend and just different things. That's the buy-in. My final question, which is how we end every episode here on the show, fill in the blank, Kelly. Entrepreneurship is blank. Entrepreneurship is a roller coaster. Um, But if you truly believe in what you're creating and you have the passion and grit to see it through, then it's absolutely worth it. She is Kelly Minx. She is the founder and CEO of Bilingual Bridges. Kelly, thank you so much for joining us today on Startup Hype Man Podcast. Thank you for having me. That wraps up today's conversation. Did you like what you heard? Startup Hype Man, the podcast is available on every major platform, including Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, and more. So be sure to subscribe on your platform of choice and leave a rating and review. Do you want to be an upcoming guest on the show? Email media at startuphypeman.com with your idea and my team will review. Our theme song is Change the Game by Jay-Z, all rights owned by Rockefeller and Def Jam Records. And hey, if you want to work together on making your startup story the only one that matters, email me at rajiv at startuphypeman.com. That's R-A-J-I-V at startuphypeman.com. Well, that'll do it for today. Thank you for listening. Thank you to today's guests for joining. You have been checking out Startup Hype Man, the podcast. I'll catch you next week. But in the meantime, word up, raise up.